0: So, the question I want you to think about is who is to blame? I have a couple friends who, one evening, decided they wanted to have a big bonfire. And so it was a starry night, lots of, it was just a pretty night, a good evening to go and to hang out, to spend time with brothers. And so they loaded up some pallets in the back of their truck. One of the friends had an open field that they could go to. Well, they started packing these pallets and putting them on a stack, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Well, this stack of pallets was huge. And what do you use to start a fire? Well, you throw a little gasoline, a little bit more, and a little bit more, then you pull a trail, take a match, light it, and then what happens? Huge. Okay? You guys are having fun, enjoying the evening. It's a fun time. Well, then you start to see some lights come up. You're like, "Okay, we weren't expecting to have anybody else. Well, the fire department got called because of the huge cloud of smoke that had come off the top. So who's to blame? Was it the guy's idea who said, hey, let's go have this fire? How easy is it to say, well, it wasn't my fault, but it was his? How often do we do that? And easy it is to do that. I'm going to be preaching from 1 Samuel 15. And I want you to keep this in mind as we start to go through and look at King Saul. But before we jump into the text, I want to quickly go over. We need to set a context and an understanding about a king being over Israel. Saul was the first king over Israel. Or better yet, we could say the second king, because God was king over Israel. God had always intended to give Israel king, an earthly king. Uh, Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. We see that. But God gives clear laws and guidelines for kings, for the choosing of a king. And we see this in Deuteronomy 17, which, if you guys would turn there with me. So these are clear laws that have been given as concerning Israel's king. So Deuteronomy 17, 14 says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may intend. Set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. And then he goes on here and gives criterias. Okay, not exce- acquire many horses, not acquiring many wives for himself, and not acquiring for himself excessive silver or gold. Then we see in verse 18, And when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandments, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." So he's talking about a dynasty here, a family ruling, that he may continue long. These, this is what the clear guidelines that God has given Israel for their king. Now, a little context going into 1 Samuel 15 here. Israel was impatient. They did not wait for God's choice, but they decided to go and say, we want a king. Their their motives were wrong. They wanted, in 1 Samuel 8 5, they wanted to be like the nations around them. They wanted to have a king ruling them. And you could also say their criteria were wrong. They looked at Saul in 1 Samuel 9 2, and said, He's a handsome man, more handsome than all other men in Israel. He was tall, he had a stature, he commanded your attention. So, the idea of biblical kingship here, we see in Deuteronomy 17, is that God ultimately is king, and God will always be king, as the psalmist says in Psalm 10, 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Israel will have a human king, but he will son- serve under the Lord, who is ultimately the king. So, this is, this is the context we need to understand of kingship. What is biblical kingship? And now, if you turn with me to 1 Samuel 15. Let's begin in verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord thus says the Lord of hosts I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now before this passage we should see begin to see that we as believers also need to obey God's commands. We'll see Saul needs to obey God's commands. That's the purpose of this. And so here going in, we see verse three, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, we need to set a little bit of more context. Who are the Amalekites? This goes back to Exodus 17. Here, Moses and the people—it's in Exodus—they are Exodus, they are Exodus. They're exiting Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, and this is at a point they get water from the rock. They're going. Well, the Amalekites come and attack Israel. So Moses commands Joshua in this, this battle to cho- choose men to fight. And he'll go stand up above the battle, and he'll hold out his hands with his staff. And, he's, and as long as his hands were held high, Israel prevailed over the Amalekites. But when he, he came fatigued and lowered, the Amalekites prevailed over Israel. Now they even rolled up a stone that he could sit on. And Aaron held one hand and her held the other. And eventually the Israel prevailed and defeated the Amalekites. Now, in the end of Exodus 17 there he says, "You shall Israel shall have contention, shall fight with the Amalekites from generation to generation." This is something that will be, keep coming up again and again. And he has commanded them to devote them to destruction. We see this again in Deuteronomy 25, giving this command again and reminding them of this. So this is where we're at in this. These are who the Amalekites are. So the Lord is commanding Saul to devote them to destruction to show that God is powerful, that he is more powerful than all the surrounding nations or their God. This is to show these are God's people. So now we're gonna be confronted with what decisions does Paul, not Paul, Saul, pardon me, what decisions do Saul make? He has a command from God to obey. Now let's go on to see what Saul does. Verse 4. So Samuel summoned the people and numbered them in Talim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy them, destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. Now, quick understanding. Who are these people that he tells to leave? Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was a Canaanite. And so this kindness that he showed him, this is... These these are who these people are. So now verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. So now we're given some location. We're given some places. This is a huge campaign. 210,000 men. So you have the Red Sea here with its fingers here. Egypt's over here. You have the Persian Gulf. And then the Dead Sea's up above here. They gathered, some people think, just below the Dead Sea. But then you have the Persian Gulf over here. The Amalekites were kind of in this general area to the east of Egypt. So they came down here, drove this campaign. Sure is over here. Havilah was over here somewhere. So they pushed all these people. They devoted to destruction. And they were over here and sure. So that it is a great campaign that they huge, a great victory. But yet it says he spared Agak in the best. He spared Agak. He took Agak. Okay, what are you doing, Saul? Verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. They didn't obey God. He said, devote everything. Do not spare anything. Yet what they, what they devoted to destruction was the le- worthless, the despised. So now what are they going to do with the sheep? They're, they're going to go back to Gilgal, which is above the Dead Sea. So they're going to drive all these animals and these 210,000 men. They're going to go back up to Gilgal. This long trip that would take a few days. Okay, you are not obeying God to devote to destruction all that God has commanded you? What does God think of this? Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Saul. I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. He regretted, he sighed this emotion that we see. What is God's reaction to this? And Samuel, he was grieved that Saul would not obey God. So we we go on in verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning And he turned, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So not only did he not obey God, and he took all these animals up to Gilgal, but he made a monument for himself and for the victory they just had. What are you doing, Saul? Why are you making this decision? Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. I have done this. Look, blessed be the Lord. I have performed all that you have commanded. And Samuel said, "What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, in the lowing of the oxen that I hear?" He didn't listen to the voice of God, And here he's standing. They're having this conversation with all this noise. Have any of you ever been in a stockyard? With all the animals? It's overwhelming. This, the, the noise of it. it's constant. The rattling of the the panels, the the cows just constantly making noise. They're having this conversation here. And so I have obeyed what you have commanded. Do you see the irony here? What is Saul gonna say? Verse 15. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Okay, they've done it. They've brought them, but we're gonna we're still gonna devote them to destruction. We're just gonna sacrifice them to God. That's not what God commanded. He said, Devote all to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel's saying here, Don't justify yourself, Saul. What has God commanded? Samuel said to him in verse 17, Though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the tribe of Israel, The Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoils and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? He's saying, though you are little in your eyes. This is the king of Israel. He's supposed to be leading his people. He's coming here and saying, no, but the people, the people made me do it. Isn't he the head of the tribe of Israel? We see... In verse 19, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoils and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel was angry. He was grieved that he heard that Saul did not do what God had commanded. Even here we see it wasn't just a, okay, we're going to take these sheep and go on them. But they pounced on them. They took the excessive, the spoils, the things that were good. They devoted to destruction what was worthless. What is Saul's response going to be to this? This is all because of Saul's disobedience. He's being here confronted with truth. Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. He's equating, okay, devote to destruction, to sacrifice to God. This isn't, this isn't what God commanded. This isn't what Samuel said to Saul. But he, he's, he, he's pushing it on the people saying, they did this. Now comes, Saul is confronted strongly with the truth this next section here is in, it is in a formal verse. It is a strong reference, a rebuke to Saul's disobedience. Verse 22 And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen in the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul has had issues with sacrifice before. 1 Samuel 13. He did not wait for Samuel to come and make a sacrifice to God, that he was afraid the Philistines would come. And God rejected there his dynasty, that his family would be king. But he was still king. The people appreciated him. But he has chosen someone else of his own choosing that would be king after him. Now we come here again. Same place. Gilgal. Wanting to make sacrifices to God but not obeying what God has commanded. What is Saul's response going to be to this? Is he going to repent because of his disobedience? Verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. This is good. There's more. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He's still here trying to justify, it's not me, it's them. Okay, yes, I have sinned, but it was because they forced me to, because I feared them. We see back in Deuteronomy, they are to learn to fear God, not men, God. But yet he is fearing men. He's not repentant. We see this idea. We look at these kings. First Samuel is huge. You have Samuel, Saul, and David. David is a man of God's choosing. David does sin. Many of you are familiar with Bathsheba. He goes and commits sexual immorality. But we see his heart and his repentance. In Psalm 51, which I want to read, uh, verses 15 through 17. Psalm 51, 15 says, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This is what repentance looks like. Repentance doesn't look like Saul saying, the people did it, the people made me. But it is saying, Lord, I have done this. You do not delight in many sacrifices, but you delight in a broken and contrite heart. Saul continues on in verse 25. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Saul said, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. For he is not a man that should have regret. Samuel says to Saul, you've rejected God. you rejected the word. You've rejected what God has commanded. You've not obeyed. You are rejected as king. You are no longer king. The people still love Saul. The people still want him to lead. Why wouldn't you? He's a man of grandeur, of stature, one to follow, a leader, a human leader that draws people. But God says, you have rejected me. And he has given it to someone who is better, his neighbor, one whom God has chosen. And God is not one to go back on his word he has spoken and it will come to pass it is sure now we go on verse 30 what is what is Saul's response going to be to this then he said i have sinned yet honor me now before the elders of the people and before israel and return with me that i may bow before the lord your god and my people And before Israel, and return. Oh my. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people, and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. I don't know why Samuel's decision to change. Saul was still trying to justify himself. Yet, honor me in front of the elders. He still wanted to receive glory. We see Galatians 1.10. Am I trying to seek the approval of man or of God? If I'm still trying to seek the approval of man, I would not be a bondservant of God. He still... Wants glory. He still wants all for himself. But Samuel was going to do what God had commanded. Even though Saul wouldn't, he's going to obey what God said. Verse 32 Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Cheerfully? Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. He came cheerfully. Why do you think he brought Agag? Why do you think Saul brought Agag? Was it not to show his campaign of his victory in this? I have brought their king. I have brought the man over them and to make a fool of him. But yet he's, he was coming here. Man, I got away from this. They killed all my people, but I'm good. Verse 33. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Saul was not truly repentant. He did not obey God. Samuel then obeyed God and did what God commanded. Now we're left at kind of a down point. Verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibba of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. You see God's emotion. You see God's personification of regret, a sigh of, why didn't you obey my command? And Samuel and Saul did not see each other again. We talked. Joel preached in class yesterday of trivializing God. Saul was not making much of God. Saul did not obey the voice of the Lord. We see this, but what hope is there? Where is God's king is what we're left with. We see the next chapter over just to look in that. David is anointed king. David is a king of God's choosing and his offspring. David, back in Deuteronomy, God's choice. This is God's choice. David, even though he sins, he still does not do what God commands. But there is repentance there. David dies. From the spring of David, offspring of David, comes the king over all, Jesus Christ. Would you guys turn with me to Acts 2? As I close here. In verse 29, it says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. David died. but his offspring would continue to reign we see later jesus christ comes on the picture verse 32 this jesus god raised and of that we are all witnesses being before therefore exalted at the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords and King of kings. We see this Revelation 17 and 19. We're left this picture of Saul, this pride. I can do it. I don't need God. But yet, Jesus came in the humility and died. Pilate came to him during the crucifixion and said, Are you king of the Jews? in John 18.37 says in that He was I am the King. You have said so. We are left on a down point in 1 Samuel 15. But we know the grander picture. We know this. And this even for us. Believers need to obey what God commands. Pride Comes in so easy. But live in humility, knowing that Jesus is King. Would you pray with me? Father, we can praise you that you are Lord, that you are our Savior, that you are King and are reigning. Father, would you continue to work in each of our Lord, as we study more about you, as we are put in positions of authority? Would you work in us humility, a spirit of humility, Lord, that we would not be prideful in what you've given us? God, thank you for this time that we can come to you We praise you and thank you for all that you do. Amen.